I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season two, episode four. Empty. Mags watched the old man slump into an overstuffed, coffee-stained chair in the teacher's lounge. It smelled like cigarettes and mothballs, decades of stale smoke wrapped in tweed jackets with elbow patches. Undoubtedly, it had been the treasured refuge of some crusty old academic with only a few years left to retirement. This old chair his redoubt from the squalling of adolescent rage. That person was gone, their jaded, dusty dreams swept away with the apocalypse. Now this chair was empty. Now it made a good place to temporarily store this old man, this old man with whom she didn't know what to do. He hadn't spoken since they made it off the bridge. He looked worn and depleted. She hadn't yet seen any zombies in this apocalypse, but she could swear she was looking at one right now. Something in him was gone. Some light had dimmed. He was somehow empty. She saw it before in the desert when she served. They would come back from missions with those same hollow eyes, that same existential tiredness, not a physical tiredness, but a psychological exhaustion that seeped right down to their bones. She saw firsthand how the losses and death piled up and soldiers fell into themselves like a collapsing house. She wondered how she could get him out of that place before for it was too late. The lounge seemed as good a place as any to let him decompress while she scouted around to make sure it was safe, as safe as any place could be in this mad world. She kept an eye out for supplies. The lounge looked like it had been looted already. There were papers on the floor in a general disarray. A refrigerator hung open against the wall, the empty racks inside showing like the rib cage of a rotting carcass. Someone had been through this place already. Things were starting to get lean in the apocalypse. The easy stuff was gone. Her feet hurt from walking in cold, wet shoes. She felt heavy. The weight of surviving. They made it this far. They were still alive, most of them, anyhow. She'd have time to rest later. Stay here, she said to the old man, knowing he was nowhere even close to having the spirit to move. 
See if you can get some sleep. She threw him an old cardigan sweater that had been draped on one of the chairs. It smelled vaguely of pipe tobacco, chalk, and her 11th grade history class. The hallway was littered with dust and trash, but there weren't any bodies here. It must not have been used as an emergency shelter, as many schools were. The virus happened so fast. Maybe they just never got here. Other schools she had seen were charnel houses, army cots in the gymnasiums, loaded with black rats and greasy, shrouded piles of what used to be humans. She had never made it to the emergency shelter herself. When the sickness hit, she had been at her daycare with her kids. Not her kids by birth, her kids by choice. When she came back from the war, she felt a certain calling to look after people, to make sure they were okay. That's why she set up the daycare business. It filled a hole in her. It gave her purpose. It gave her an extended family to protect to serve. When the virus hit, she made sure all the kids got home. She was already feeling off when she made it home herself. She thought of her husband in that last hurried mobile phone conversation. They promised to meet at the house. She made it home and collapsed on the couch in a fevered sweat. Panic thoughts racked her swollen brain until she lapsed into unconsciousness. Mags's husband never made it home. She woke up limp and groggy in a pool of sweat and blood and snot three days later. When she was able to move, she cleaned herself up. When she was able to walk, she went out to look for her kids. She methodically went to every home on the list, hoping to find them. One by one, she did find them. All dead. All horribly awfully dead. Her kids. There was nothing she could do for them. Was there anything worse in the world than dead kids? But she kept searching. She worked her way through the list, needing to find closure, hoping against hope that she could find one bright young spark alive. Finally, she pushed open a jammed door and found little Hannah crying over the corpse of her mother. After all that death, Mags was able to find one small life, one tiny spark of life in the apocalypse, one person to help, one life to care for, one to survive with, one sliver of hope for a future world. She met other survivors and helped them too. Soon they had a small group and were helping each other. So it went until last week when the king's men showed up and started killing and taking. She wanted to fight back, but doing so would risk the lives of the kids. She had to protect the kids. Someone had to protect the kids. Shards of sunlight broke through the classroom doors and painted feeble gray boxes on the far wall. The yellow sunlight turned the industrial green cinder blocks a lighter, sickly shade. The classrooms were empty, hollowed out by the apocalypse like the desiccated corpses of the dead.
The last of this gray day was dying, spilling its dirty sunset into the dead school. A trophy case was smashed, and glass crunched under her feet. Rotten, deflated old championship footballs and torn pictures of smiling teams spilled out of the collapsed shelves onto the tile floor. None of their athleticism could help them now. They were ghosts in this dead, empty place. She had left Bella and the kids in the old school gym. She had told Brad to scrounge up some blankets or anything dry. The storm seemed to be passing, but it was still uncomfortably cold. By the time they made it here, everyone was soaked and chilled to the bone. She made a mental note to find them some new clothes. They were physically and mentally exhausted from the ordeal on the bridge. She should find a way to make a fire if she could do it without attracting attention. Mags stopped by a door that made her smile with irony. A metal door with fallout shelter stenciled on it. Back in the 1960s, when JFK told municipalities to build fallout shelters, it had felt like a grim certainty that the world would end in a radioactive flash. Nikita Khrushchev had cut off East Berlin and things were tense in the Cold War. Americans were drilled on how to survive a nuclear attack. Every family who could afford it had a Geiger counter. That youthful rogue Kennedy had everyone building burrows in the ground like prairie dogs. A classic story as old as government and society. Another useless infrastructure investment using fear as propaganda. The military-industrial complex got richer on the backs of working-class panic. She tried the door, but it was locked. Not worth the calories or the time to try to force it. Probably just a broom closet now anyhow. An empty cobweb-filled hole. She made a mental note to look for keys. There were a lot of stout locked doors in this place— Stout locked doors could come in handy if you had the keys. The fallout shelter was an artifact from an apocalypse that never happened. The Soviets hadn't sent bombers to rain down nuclear hell on this school. The virus had done a much better job. And, in the end, there was no hiding from it. Mags could hear the hushed voices of the children now. They weren't screaming or laughing or playing. They didn't do that anymore. They only survived. The joy of being alive had been hollowed out of their young lives to be replaced with a furtive fear of survivors. That made for a mean and anxious existence. She would do the best she could to get some joy of life back for them. She stopped before the door of the gym and took a deep breath. The kids needed her. Now, more than ever, she needed to be a leader. She had led men and women before. She wasn't a warrior or a killer, but she could be a leader. Mags pushed one of the gym doors open and strode in. The far wall had enough windows to let some light in, those opaque glass block walls. She could see the kids clustered in the old wooden bleachers. "'How are you settling in?' Mags asked in as cheery a voice as she could muster. She hadn't realized how tired she was. Brad looked up and answered, 
We found some blankets and coats and things in the lost and found box, enough to keep us warm anyhow. Mags saw that there were also some long, felt championship banners that had hung low enough on the walls to pull down. The kids were using them as padding. She supposed that there was no one left from the 1987 league champion field hockey team left to object. Any food? Mags asked. We didn't find any yet. Brad replied. They would need food and water if they decided to stay here. She'd have to think about what to do if the king's men came back. Maybe there was some place to hide. So much for her to manage now, just for them to survive another day. How are the kids? She asked. This time it was Bella who answered. The kiddos are a little shaken up, but a good night's rest will do them a world of good. Okay, then. Mag said, turning to the kids who were nesting into the bleachers with their found bedding. You kids did great today. You were very brave. Get warm and nap. Miss Bella will stay here with you and keep you safe. Mags emphasized the word safe, like it was a hopeful affirmation. She continued, smiled, and tousled the hair of the closest ward. Mr. Brad and I are going to find some dinner for us. Then, turning to Brad... Brad, you're with me. Let's see if we can find some food. Brad oddly felt like he was being ordered around, but not in a bad way. He wanted to help. He joined Mags and they went out into the hall. Do you think this place is safe? Brad asked. It's as safe as we make it, Mags responded. The king's army has already combed through this part of the city. Now they're on the other side of the river. With the bridge out, we probably won't see them again in the short term, and this side of the city is empty. If we find some food and water, we can stay here for a few days. Where's the old man? he asked. I left him in the teacher's lounge to rest. He's not doing very well. He's really shaken up. The loss of his people hit him pretty hard. We'll get him later. Best to stay together. But I think he needs some alone time. Yeah, that was pretty messed up shit on the bridge. We lost people, too. The apocalypse is all about loss, Mag said. We just have to keep getting back up because people need us to be strong, Brad. She looked directly at him and held his gaze. Brad broke eye contact and looked at the ground. Yeah, okay. He replied, but he didn't sound sure. When Mags pushed open the door, they saw rats scuttling away under the counters. The cafeteria had been ransacked. The air reeked of rotten food and rat feces. It had been long enough now that the food was gone, but the stench remained. Tables and chairs were knocked over. Empty boxes, trash, and broken jars littered the floor. Ceiling tiles hung from frames, sagging and brown with water damage. This doesn't look good, Brad said. Mags looked at him and said nothing. She skirted the junk along the wall towards the kitchen. There was a body, or what was left of a body, face down in a reddish-brown stain by the registers. Mags could see the parchment white of skull through the matted hair. 
By this point in the apocalypse, the bodies were mostly bags of bones and stains on the ground where they fell. It was gruesome, but not as bad as that first month when the bodies were liquefying amidst swarms of flies, and the air was thick with the putrid stench of death. Shit, Brad said and choked back a gag. Come on, Brad, Mag said as she stepped over the prostrate form. She's not going to bite you. Back in the storage area, they dug through the boxes and found what they were looking for. Large cans and buckets of food, too large to carry easily, the kind of containers only an institution could use. Mushroom stems and pieces, Brad read out loud. Mags wiped the dirt off another and saw that it was beets. Brad asked, Why are these still here? Probably too hard to carry, or maybe the lunch lady out there scared people off. Doesn't matter. Let's load some onto one of those long tables and use it like a stretcher to carry them back to the gym. I guess even the Kingsmen can't stomach canned mushrooms and beets, Brad said with a smile. She saw that he was starting to come out of his shell and was glad of it. She'd need to help. Like many of these old schools, there was a sheltered inner courtyard with an old jungle gym and a paved area where generations of kids played dodgeball. It was empty now and overgrown with weeds around the edges. With Brad's help, they had managed to find a metal drum and some dry wood from old furniture and fixtures to build a small but warming fire. The old wood didn't smoke too badly and would be discreet enough not to attract attention. There was always the smell of fire in the apocalypse. They had scavenged some pots and racking to cook from the cafeteria and managed to put together an improvised soup of sorts. The group gathered in a small circle of chairs and ladled steaming portions out, much to the gratitude of the hungry and tired crew. Shadows from the flickering barrel danced in the recesses of the walls like hunting bats. Will the Batman come back? One of the small voices asked. Bella smiled and assured the gathered children that they were safe for now. Mags was glad to have Bella with her. She was a solid helper. She had been a pediatrician's assistant before the apocalypse. Although she had lost her own two daughters, she was always optimistic and seemed to get positive reinforcement in helping others. Brad chimed into the conversation. You know, the king doesn't call them soldiers or even men. He calls them dogs. Not kidding. He calls them his dogs. Do you know why? Brad asked, obviously enjoying this tidbit of knowledge. Why? Mags asked reluctantly, but was glad to see Brad coming back to life. Because they sniff around, and when they find something, they either eat it, piss on it, or fi- Brad! Bella cut him off with a warning look at the assembled kids. Sorry, Brad acquiesced. But they do act like animals. Mags tensed slightly as she heard the metal door to the gym swing slowly open. The old man shuffled up to the group. He looked older than ever as he stood there in the shadows. He scraped a school chair across the concrete tiles and joined the circle. Mags looked at him in the dim orange light and asked, How you doing? Better, thanks. I'd be grateful for a bowl of that soup. Not sure how you did it, 
but it smells good. Bella ladled a steaming dollop of makeshift soup into one of the empty cans and handed it to him with a wink. In the morning, we'll get you some coffee. My favorite, he growled. Apocalypse mystery soup and coffee in the morning. The doctor in him noticed a slight palsy in Bella's face. He wondered if that was an after-effect of the virus, some sort of neural damage that wouldn't be uncommon. He'd seen similar in Africa. He might be able to help her. That observation made him wonder about his mind, about why he still thought of cures and healing and solace in this dead world. This dead world that teased him like a petulant child, pulling the wings off a fly. The woman and the dog had brought him hope. They had breathed life back into him. And now... This vengeful world had taken them as well. It would be hard for him to trust again. Everyone still alive was on borrowed time. He looked around into the dirty faces around him that were painted unevenly with flickering firelight. Some of those eyes were looking back at him. These people needed him now. There was always someone who needed him. They never left him alone. This world was filled with needy people, but he was so tired. He was empty, empty to his bones, sick of it all. But what choice did he have? Give up and die? No, that wasn't his style. He had been resigned before, but now he was just angry, tired and angry, This stupid world would have to come get his bones. He wasn't in the mood anymore to surrender. He saw no way out other than forward, to keep moving until the movement left him too. But he wasn't going to let any more damned dogs or women into this old man's heart. He'd sleep on it and see what tomorrow brought. Mags watched the old man with concern. He looked lost. He looked older, as if that were possible. His sunken eyes lidded behind the dirty beard. Was there a spark in there, or had he lost too much? He looked up and noticed her watching him. He nodded and brought a spoonful of soup to his lips and blew on it. Mags thought she saw some life in the tired eyes. She had seen it a hundred times when she set up similar camps in the desert and served equally makeshift meals of field rations to battered and tired soldiers. She knew how resilient humans were, and she saw that spark of light in the old man now, like an old soldier. That light. Maybe it was the light of God. Maybe humans were just wired to put a all the shit of the day aside and survive. She didn't know, but she was glad of it because she could use his help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, survivors, and welcome back. This is Chris, your host, picking up steam in season two now. How do you like our new characters, huh? I like the Mags character. I and I actually, this is a new thing. I hadn't pre-planned to write her in this way, but she just naturally turned into a strong character, a strong person, the kind of person you need in the apocalypse. And I have had several people threaten to unfriend me over at the Facebook group because of uh, episode three. But have patience. That's all. No spoilers, but have patience. All will be well. Life is a three-act play. And if you need to yell at me, you can join our Facebook group over at After the Apocalypse. I think we're up to like 50 people now, maybe. Maybe. And, of course, you guys have figured out by now that you can skip these outro conversations at the end of the show if you want. Just fast forward when you hear the music after Robert's narrative ends. And that's the break point right there. You might get a commercial right there. And then it's just me talking. Fast forward is something we used to do when we had these plastic boxes with metal oxide tape wound mechanically around a spool. And there was this button to make the spool spin double quick so you could skip ahead to the next blotch of metal oxide that you wanted to listen to. And I wonder what the best storage and playback device would be for the apocalypse. Maybe we'll go back to stone stelli, right? Not so much storage space and hard to throw into your kit bag, but they last a few thousand years. And if you, speaking of Robert's Robert's voiceover, if you want to hire Robert for something, this is what he does for a living. I don't know, maybe record the message on your voicemail. You can find him over at commandvoices.com, commandvoices.com. And wouldn't that be great? Just somebody calls you and they get, welcome to the apocalypse. We're tied up surviving at the moment. Please leave a message. We'll get right back to you if we survive. So our tribe is growing nicely. We're just under 29,000 downloads last time I checked, running somewhere around 400 a day. But it's a curve, right? And it's an interesting pattern if you look at it. Podcasts, especially evergreen podcasts, aren't 100% like traditional media. It's a poll distribution model, not a push. So you see a spike of downloads after a new episode is released, but it's it's more of a curve. It's not all at once. And depending on how people are listening, their app might automatically grab the new episode in the background or when they open the app. And you see those downloads happen on the first couple days after release in the first week. Not all at once, but across that first week after the release 
is about, I don't know, 500 discrete downloads. And that's just what I can see in ACAST. There's other sources where people could be listening to it. And what that tells you, I think, is that there are about 500 people who discreetly subscribe, who download the new shows when they're released. But the other interesting thing is that across all shows during the same period, there's around 2,500 downloads. And I think that means there's another 2,000 people working their way through the back episodes, the existing shows, to catch up. And you would think that those 2,000 would catch up with us fairly quickly, given the short episodes. And I realize at this point that I have no point and I'm blathering, but I just found that data interesting. Thank you to those of you who have subscribed in your apps, and thank you for putting a review or rating it or whatever you need to do to give it some attention. And thank you for sharing with your friends, enemies, and total strangers. It looks like it's working, so keep that up. And what you can do in social is just drop that link. The URL from ACAST, shows.acast.com forward slash after hyphen the hyphen apocalypse. Take that and drop it into Facebook, Twitter, whatever. We're word of mouth, so keep making words with your mouths in the directions of other people, and we'll be fine. And also thanks to new Patreon member Corby, who threw me a couple of bucks. I appreciate the help. Because we are self-funded, my friends. I watched the final cut, final cut of Blade Runner on Netflix. And it's available on Netflix right now, the final cut. And the final cut is different than the original theatrical release and also different than the director's cut. And according to Wikipedia, there are seven cuts of this 1982 Ridley Scott classic. Blade Runner is set in, if not an apocalyptic, at least a dystopian future. And people who care about such things say that the final cut is the best version. And I liked it a lot. It's a beautiful film in any version. The atmosphere that Scott's direction creates is so dark and amazing. And you've got Rutger Hauer, Harrison Ford, a young Daryl Hannah. So what's different between the cuts? In the final cut, you get some extra gore in the violent scenes, and not a lot. I mean, in 1982, that might have been too much for the appetite then, but now it's it's barely noticeable, the extra gore. And they also remove the narration. In the theatrical release, the one you typically see, you'll notice Harrison Ford is narrating, like a film noir narration, because the producers didn't think audiences would be able to figure out what was going on in the movie. And actually removing the narration really helps you focus on the beauty of the direction and notice things you might not have noticed. And the final cut also has the insertion of the full-length unicorn dream sequence. And I'll talk more on that in a minute. And lastly, the final cut removes the happy ending. That was pushed into the studio release. Uh, That's the scene at the end, duh, where Edward James Olmos, his character, lets him go and he says, It's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? Right? That's the happy ending. So they replace that. So anyhow, the unicorn scene. There's a kerfuffle around this because fans think 
that when Deckard dreams about the unicorn, it shows that he's a replicant. And there's a bunch of unicorn uh, imagery in the movie. And it seems like Ridley Scott wanted the film to really suggest that Deckard was a replicant, not a human. Well, that's all well and good. But when they asked Philip K. Dick about it, he said Deckard clearly wasn't a replicant. And thus, we get a fanboy kerfuffle on the interwebs. And speaking of Philip K. Dick, if you haven't read his stories, you need to. He wrote smart science fiction that explored religious and philosophical themes. He wrote 44 novels and 121 short stories, most of which appeared in science fiction magazines during his lifetime. And if you don't think you know Philip K. Dick, you're wrong, because Hollywood loves Philip K. K. Dick stories. Blade Runner is from the story Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? But you'll also recognize Total Recall, The Adjustment Bureau, The Man in the High Castle, and maybe Ubik, among others. So, in summary, my friends, the final cut is worth a watch. Feel free to reach out to me with any suggestions or comments. I'm having a blast writing and producing this, and I hope you are too. If we have brightened your day even a little bit with our storytelling, it makes us happy. So we appreciate all your help, your attention, whatever you do, keep surviving. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 